Good morning. Welcome to Zion on this fourth Sunday in Lent, although it feels like the fourth Sunday of Advent. It is Lent, and we will be celebrating Easter together in just a couple weeks. Uh, before we begin our worship this morning, a few things to share. First, keep Rose Tice in your prayers this morning as she was taken back to the hospital. Uh, also, if you haven't picked up your newsletters yet, they are in your mailboxes, so please grab those. Um, and just a reminder that we will continue our Wednesday night services and soup suppers this Wednesday. So even if you haven't made it to one yet, you are absolutely invited and we would love to see you there. Are there other announcements or other prayer requests for the congregation this morning? Yeah. Your sister Becky. If there's no other announcement, then I'll invite you to take a moment to quiet your heart and your mind and prepare for worship as we listen to the prelude.
grace, and I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Let us pray. God of compassion, you welcome the wayward, and you embrace us all with your mercy. By our baptism, clothe us with garments of your grace, and feed us at the table of your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. The word of the Lord. We will now intone the psalm in unison.
reading from 2 Corinthians. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Luke. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and, began, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. 
Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. Children, I invite you to come forward. All right, bear with me here. I want to do a quick costume change, if I can. And I might as well put on the beard while, I'm, while I got it out. Okay. How do I look? <laughs> You're in church, you've got to be honest. How do I look? <laughs> do I look ridiculous? That's okay, you can say it, I know it. It's all right, you won't hurt my feelings. I look pretty silly, don't I? Magdalene, do I look silly? Yeah, it's kind of silly, right? I look ridiculous, um, and I don't normally look like this for the most part, right? Yeah, I look silly. Well, I wanted to make a point. In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus tells a story, and he tells a story about a son first who was bad, a son who took his father's money and he went off to a faraway land and he partied and he spent all the money and he did everything he was not supposed to do. He was basically a bad son. Okay, when, the, when the son realizes what he's done, he comes back home. Right? But our story tells us, it gives us this little detail about the father. And it says the father saw his son coming from far away. And when the father saw him, he ran to his son, he hugged him, he kissed him. And that's a really interesting detail. Because in that culture, kind of like ours, you don't expect to see an older man running. You don't expect to see an older man, especially running to a younger person, putting his arms around him and grabbing him. But the thing is, the father did not care what he looked like. He would have looked really silly to anybody else if the neighbors would have seen it, right? If other people would have seen it. The father would have looked really silly running out after his son. He would have looked silly hugging this son who has spent all of his money. He would have looked ridiculous. But he didn't care because he loved his son that much. He didn't care that he looked silly. He was just full of joy because his son had come back. Well, I think in that story, the Father gives us a picture of God. Right? God loves us so much that he just wants you to come to him, to be embraced by him, to be loved by him. Right? And whatever that looks like, God doesn't care. God is willing to become a human in Jesus Christ to welcome you and to embrace you and to love you. Right? That's how much God loves you. 
doesn't care what it looks like to the world, doesn't care if it looks silly, doesn't, look, doesn't care if it looks unbelievable. God just wants you. God loves you. And so whenever you return to God, if you've done something bad, if you've gone away from God, he's always going to welcome you back. He's always going to embrace you. He's always going to forgive you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you always welcome us. Help us always to come back to you and to know that you love us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I thought briefly about preaching with the wig on, but I don't want to set a precedent here, so I won't. But it's been said that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is always going to a meal or returning from a meal. Jesus is always eating one way or another in the gospel. And so the act of eating with others becomes a really important theme in the gospel. Well, and this should not be surprising to us. So in the Bible, eating with someone or feasting with others is a picture throughout the Bible of the kingdom of heaven. So our reading from Joshua this morning touches on the great food that the Israelites will have once they settle in the promised land. Right, once they get to Israel, the Israelites are going to feast. They're no, they will no longer need the manna in the wilderness because God's going to give them a new kind of abundance in the promised land. In the book of Isaiah, heaven is described like this. On the mountain of the Lord of hosts, he will make for all peoples a, rich, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, well-aged wine strained clear. In the book of Revelation describes Christ's second coming as a marriage supper, as a great big celebratory feast. And so in the Gospels, when Christ eats with people, it's not arbitrary, it's not random. Rather, he's making a point that the kingdom feast has, beco- has begun. And it's begun because Christ has come to reconcile God and sinner. And so we've heard in the last few weeks' gospel lessons that much of Jesus' teaching is spurred by criticism from the Pharisees. Well, this week is no different. Chapter 15 of Luke begins with the Pharisees, Pharisees criticizing Jesus. They say, this fellow welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Well, the Pharisees are not naive, they're not dumb. They understand that Jesus is making a statement when he chooses to eat with sinners. They understand that he is saying to the world that sinners are invited to the great feast of heaven. You have some time, maybe in high school or college, you've studied a little bit of William Shakespeare's plays. Well, Shakespeare's plays are usually put into three categories, histories, tragedies, and comedies. Histories focus on historical characters like kings. Tragedies Tragedies are those plays in which just about everyone dies at the end. And then there are comedies, uh, titles like The Taming of the Shrew, or Much Ado About Nothing, A Midsummer's Night Dream, and so on. Well, Shakespeare's comedies always end in weddings and in feasts. And so in a sense, the biblical picture is that God is planning for history to end as a comedy. The resolution is supposed to be one of joy, of feasting, and of celebration. 
And so the true theme of the parable of the prodigal son is really about this. The true theme of the parable asks a direct question of both the Pharisees and of us, which is, are we going to join the feast? And if not, like the Pharisees, what's going to get in the way of us joining that feast? The whole parable then puts its focus on the elder brother. He's the one who becomes the picture of the one who stands outside the feast. The parable is really about this older brother. We most often think about lostness and about sinful living as that which is clearly visible and obvious. Right? We see someone who has loose morals, who has a drinking problem, who gambles, who's engaged in some kind of sexual immorality and so on. We see that that person's far away from the church, and that's the picture of lostness that we usually have. It's easy to identify, it's easy to point out. And so, of course, the prodigal son himself experienced this kind of lostness. And so there is an aspect of this parable which points out that we can refuse to join the Father's party because we're busy attempting to create heaven for ourselves on earth through sensual pleasure and distraction. And we all know people like this, and we can point out people like this. However, as Jesus tells the parable, he's addressing the Pharisees. And it's not that kind of sinfulness that he's addressing. That's not the problem he's pointing out. We know this because, well, the Pharisees are religious. They're moral. They take their religious duties very seriously. And they, in a lot of ways, that describes most of us here present. In some ways, we are like the Pharisees, right? We are religious. We're here in church on Sunday. We take our faith seriously. And few of us are caught up in the kind of loose living that the prodigal was caught up in. Many of us, if not all of us, are probably more often guilty of the kind of sin that ensnared the older brother. This kind of sin might even be more, a, a more difficult kind of lostness to identify because it's not a sin that's obvious. When we look at the older brother, what do we see? We see that he's obedient. He lives out his duty. He has his act together. He's responsible. Looking from the outside in, nothing would look amiss with the older brother. But the older brother refuses to, jo to join the feast. He refuses to become part of God's kingdom. And so as we read the parable, I think we really see two sinful characteristics that keep the older brother from joining the party. First, we see that the older brother is joyless, that he holds resentment in his heart. Right? When the father steps out to plead with the older brother to join the party, notice what his response is. For all of these years, I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your commands, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Right? We hear the resentment and the bitterness, the joylessness in the older son's heart. How does he characterize his duty to his father? He says, well, father, I worked like a slave for you. And we see the irony, of course, that the younger son comes back looking just to be treated like a slave, but he finds his reception as a son. 
The younger son has learned what it is to live like a slave. He has learned what it is to live apart from his father's generosity. The older son, however, has not. He sees only duty. He sees only the duty he has paid to his father as drudgery. His obedience he sees as a burden. His service he sees as slavery. And I wonder if such bitterness ever takes hold in our hearts. Can our obedience to God's word become a burden to us? Do we ever begin to resent what our church, our community, our family, or our Lord ask of us? And that's not to say that we shouldn't have boundaries about our time and resources and that we should use them wisely in God's kingdom. But do we ever lose joy in our service to the Lord? And in losing that joy, can we place ourselves outside the feast? Do we say, I don't really want to feast with those people anyway. Those people only take. Those people never contribute as much as I do. Those people haven't committed the years and years to the cause like I have. We have to check our hearts in this way. We have to check for bitterness. We have to check for joylessness. And instead, we always have to reconsider the very simple joys of the kingdom of God. We must always return to our first identities as the Father's children and to know that he has cared for us the whole time in order to return to our joy and not be tempted to get caught up in bitterness and cynicism. The second characteristic that we see arise in the heart of the older brother is that he feels entitled. Right? The younger brother commits a grave sin at the beginning of this parable. He says to the father, give me my inheritance. Well, in the ancient Middle East culture in which the story is told, he's really saying to his father, go, father, drop dead. Right? He's saying to his father, I would rather have your money than to have to live here with you any longer. That's disrespectful even in our culture, in which our parents and elders are not held to the same esteem as they were in that culture. Now, in this ancient culture, such disrespect of a father would have been worthy of being stoned to death. It was no light sin. But the elder son commits the same kind of sin through his sense of entitlement. He says to his father, Father, I deserve such and such. I deserved a special celebration. I deserved a fatty calf. You never paid attention to me. You never cared for me. He's saying to the father, you're a bad father. He's saying that the father has wronged him, that he deserves so much more, that the father never treated him right. The elder son fails to recognize, of course, because of his entitlement, because of his bitterness, that everything in the household is his. There's nothing the father would have withheld from him if only he had asked, if only he had received it. Instead, the elder son sees the generosity toward the younger son and begins to believe in his heart that he is entitled to even more than he has. He believes that he is entitled because he's lived out his obligation he has done his duty. He deserves this. In the same way, when we begin to approach our relationship with God in terms of deserving and entitlement, we will quickly find ourselves distant from God. And we think like this sometimes. We think, God, I am entitled to go to heaven because I went to church my whole life. I'm entitled to good health, good finances, a perfect marriage, and so on, because I've always committed to my religious service. 
And this entitlement fails to receive gifts from God because it believes God reacts transactionally to our faith. But this is not how God wants us to relate to him. We're not in a business relationship with God. Instead, God wants us to live with him as his children, to know that, in fact, he is giving us all that we need. He wants us to pray and to ask him for what we need and to share our hearts with him and not to be entitled and ungrateful, but to receive every good gift from him. The basic heart attitudes, joylessness, entitlement, they can keep us standing outside the feast. They can leave us sullen and sulking in the corner, ever grumbling and complaining, and missing that all God wants to do for us. But you'll notice something about the parable of the prodigal son. It does not have a conclusion. Right? We don't know what happens to the older son. It's left hanging. Does he take his father's outstretched hand and walk with him into the feast? Does he walk with his father back to the kingdom of God? Or does he turn away, and does he leave home in his own way? Does he choose to live bitter and lost, cut off from the feast his father is hosting? Or does he choose to celebrate in the generosity of his father? Well, the parable is open-ended. And it's open-ended for you to make that same choice. Daily, you have this choice. Will you spend the day reaching out for your father's hand as he walks joyfully with you, to the celebration of the kingdom of God? Or will you withdraw? Will you turn away from the feast that God is hosting now? No, we don't know how the older brother responds in the parable. But we do know this. We know the heart of the father. We know that the father will ever be waiting to bring all of his sons together in one great celebration. And we know now that the father in heaven waits for you. He will always wait for you. And he will always leave a place at the table for you. Amen.
together let us stand and confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the church, the world, and for all who are in need. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love. Give us a proper knowledge of the evil we have done in your sight, and move us to confess our sins against you, and justify us now by your saving grace. Lord, in your mercy. Father in heaven, you welcome us into your family for the sake of your Son. Call us to repentance when we wander from your ways, or believe that we have earned a place in your household by our works and return us to the joy that is in Christ alone. Lord, in your mercy. We thank you, Lord God Almighty, that you have made your deeds known among us. Bless all pastors, teachers, musicians, and all church workers and their labors to make known your deeds among the people. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, we are brought forth in iniquity and conceived in sin, Make us ever grateful that in holy baptism you forgive and enliven even the smallest child, and that for Jesus' sake you wash us thoroughly from our sins. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, in Christ you were reconciling the world to yourself. Watch over our nation and all whom you have placed in authority, especially our President Joseph and Richard Michael, our governor. Give them wisdom and prudence that your people might live in peace and freely make, know the mes- make known the message of reconciliation. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, hear our prayers for all who cry out to you for mercy, healing, and help, including Bob, Steve, Dick, Steve, Mike, Chuck, Nancy, Kelly, Marcy, Greg, Alan, Ray, Jean, Marilyn, Jean, Mike, Rose, Tony, Carolyn, Jane, Steve, and Becky. Deliver them according to your will, and as you have made them a new creation in Christ, keep them mindful of the day when sorrow and sickness will be no more. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of glory, fill the hearts of your people and all of their callings with the joy of your salvation, that they may make it known in all the earth. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you always.
Let us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen.
peace. Serve the Lord. <laughs>